Good morning, guys. Good evening, guys. Good This is Eli's on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We have a lot to talk about today. We really, really do. Intel went ahead and allowed the benchmarks to be revealed earlier. I know that sounds terrible, but that is how the GPU and CPU space works. You really do need to have that embargo lifted before we get independent reviews. And getting them a week earlier than we expected is actually fan freaking tastic we got some apple news we have some crypto news despite the fact the crypto market hasn't really moved a whole lot it's funny i actually slipped up in the early bird briefings and didn't have a chance to go ahead and track crypto for the week and i'm really having second thoughts about about tracking crypto movements day by day because it swings really wildly for no adequately explored reason like people are talking about dude there's this huge sell-off there's this huge it's earth-shattering how big this this crypto theft was you know what it does on the on the bar you barely see it this huge dip that everyone's talking about you'd barely notice it if i just went ahead and showed it to you it barely dropped. Everything is just up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm really, really having second thoughts about tracking the price just because it doesn't seem to matter. It really doesn't. I'll keep an eye on it from here and there. And if I see big movements, I'll go ahead and report it. But for the most part, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It just goes up and down whenever the heck it feels like it, even when there's big earth shattering news. And of course, the TwitchCon opening ceremony happened. There were big announcements there. I'm just kidding. There was basically no announcements there whatsoever. Seriously, the only people actually really excited about TwitchCon right now are the people that are there. If you are not there, you are looking at TwitchCon right now as though you are like an, a peasant and you're watching the the like the like Roman what was it senators and whatnot the, the higher ups and it all just like chilling and eating grapes and you're just going there like oh that was a horrible analogy let's just move on to the fact that Di- that disney flipped off a whole bunch of people that seems like the healthier decision right so disney networks went dark on dish and sling tv for a- about 36 hours that's it but here's the thing with this all right disney right now ha- has we kind of joke about oh man disney is such a big media player they're so big they're colossal monolithic they really are though like we can joke about it all we want but it's true keep in mind disney networks includes now espn abc fox but not fox news fox the division that actually makes fox like shows which also includes fx all of which gone from dish and sling tv and you want to know why those of you who actually have cable and had to deal with this sort of nonsense in the past know exactly why it is because disney wanted more money as their contract negotiations were coming up you want to know why disney wanted more money it's very simple actually because they own espn and so many other major sections they know they can push it the other big elephant in the room is the fact that you would assume because this goes two ways. If all of these are gone from Dish and Sling, it, it of course hurts Dish and Sling. But it also means that Disney cannot sell as much advertising with their shows. 
a lot of these the way they work. And if you've ever watched like the NFL or any other major sports network, you'll notice there is a huge difference between the first couple of advertisements in a advertising block and then the rest are more focused to local businesses. Those first couple are being pushed by the content. The rest are being pushed by the content provider. So there is bad things to happen if Disney doesn't get their content out on content providers like Dish, Sling, Spectrum, Comcast, another cable company that that has a name that if I say it on this podcast could get me an um, explicit warning, which is also another name for a rooster. There's a reason to get on all those networks. But think about this for a minute. Disney now cares less about any of that now more than ever. Why? Because Disney has both Disney Plus and Hulu. They have their own major, huge, self-sustained platforms. So now Disney feels they can go ahead and push for this. Because now they feel that these sort of platforms like like Sling, like Dish, like Spectrum, like like Rooster Cable, but goes by a different name, all need Disney more than Disney needs them. And of course, you could go ahead and in your own blind view and how you dislike the various cable companies go, oh, whatever, they got the money. They're, they're just going to go ahead and do that. Well, think about this for a minute. How else are those platforms going to go ahead and pay for the extra price hike that Disney is pushing on to Dish Sling and the others? They're going to raise your rates you as the consumer on those platforms which is then going to have you reconsider do you continue using them or do you go the route of quote cutting the cord and instead signing up for all the various streaming systems that you actually want and only from those platforms now think about it this cycle goes on a bit longer this kind of snowballing effect is what can cause the end of things like dish network of Well, maybe not Sling TV. Sling TV will just evolve because Sling does that. Of all these sorts of cable providers and providing cable directly to the TV, they're either going to need to adapt to this sort of platform where Disney and the others just want to go ahead and host their own platform entirely and just price everyone else out of existence for them or perish. It will be interesting to see what all happens anyway uh, since we're done talking about that dystopian future let's talk about the crypto dystopian future won't that be great here's actually a fun story for you and one that kind of shows that a lot of uh, influencers just don't do their research it's one thing for say twitch streamers to not fully comprehend copyright law to not fully understand advertising disclosure and has to be instructed on that sort of thing. But you'd expect the best of the best influencers out there to know that sort of stuff. Well, I got some news for you. One of the biggest influencers in the world has a huge problem because they got in trouble with the S. 
E C. And I don't feel bad for them whatsoever. Ladies and gentlemen, Kim Kardashian is in huge, huge trouble with the SEC for trying to push crypto, but not fully disclosing how much she was paid to push crypto. And in fact, could end up costing her more, far more than the initial deal was. Bravo. Right now, and this actually really does show that the U.S. governmental arms at the very least are very much cracking down on these sort of sketchy crypto sort of pushes more than people, more than they used to in the past. Because these sort of, uh, the thing is with crypto, all right? is the fact that it technically counts as financial advice. Do you know, do you remember how like any sort of time I talk about something that seems obvious to me, I say, I am not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice, but to me, this seems really obvious, but I don't know. You've heard me say that a couple of times when it comes to oddball crypto things. And about half the time I end up being uh, uh, very, very, very bad. It ends up not going the exact way because crypto is just chaos. Absolutely chaos. Now, as people in chat said, this isn't going to like financially ruin her at all. She got about three quarters of a million dollars for this push. She's going to be paying just shy of three million in fines. And she's, and her net, her, her worth, which is a very weird number to measure is about three billion. Now, keep in mind, when you hear someone's worth something, that doesn't mean they have that money in their pocket right now. Like, for example, I own a business. That business, monetarily value, is worth a lot of money. My net worth, as a result, is that business plus the worth of all my other assets. Like, that number is going to be huge. I have no idea what it would be off the top of my head. Not, not quite a million, though, for certain. But I guarantee you the amount of money I could move right now is in the, okay, triple digits because I just got paid yesterday. But it's like, I don't know, a couple hundred? Basically my paycheck. (laughs) That's it. So, I mean, before we go ahead and be like, ah, she's got the money laying around, she might not. Like, I'm willing to bet a lot of that supposed three bill she's worth is probably tied up in 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 that stupid obnoxious mansion she lives in which should be a term that should be coined, obnoxious mansion. And quite frankly, the point of this story isn't the point and laugh at Kim Kardashian. Although that is a very nice bonus, I'm not gonna lie. Anytime I get a chance to, 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 to point and laugh at a Kardashian is a good day. I am not a fan of, of, of them at all. The point is, is that crypto is being cracked down upon and this is actual evidence that a lot of the big shenanigans that go on that you see like the CoffeeZillas and the Kira TVs talk about, a lot of those are going to see more action being taken upon them if the SEC is willing to go ahead and just crack down on just a simple Instagram ad. And quite frankly, that puts a smile on my face because I have been dead sick of seeing some influencers that I've never heard of before pull off half a million dollar freaking pump and dumps 
and just being sucks to suck. Woo! I don't know about you, but that really, really annoys me. Almost as annoying as the fact that uh, Coinbase, the Walmart of crypto cha- crypto exchanges, had a outage that prevented people from withdrawing funds for nearly six hours. Whoops. So apparently they just couldn't operate at all. They couldn't communicate with any of the blockchains. And you might be wondering, what's the big deal? It's only six hours. I want you to think about this for a minute. How decentralized are you when an outage like this goes ahead and locks you out of your own funds? Imagine for a minute that your credit card wouldn't operate for six hours or your debit card or any card. Like this actually would catch a lot of people off guard. And for all the people going out there and saying decentralized is the future because it goes ahead and gets around all the problems with the central system. Because this is one of the things that a lot of crypto bros want to go ahead and push that a decentralized system means no one system can go down and cause problems like it can in the real world yeah about that Uh uh-huh it's just something to keep in mind as the decentralized revolution continues to show that in fact you're not all that unique out there i'm just saying although actually you know what there is one unique thing about uh, crypto exchanges The fact that on a whim, they can just simply lose $500 million. And it's just like, oh boy, here we go again. Binance ended up being hacked, which then caused all of their operations from having to halt. And the hack then caused assets of approximately $500 million worth of assets to just vanish. Poof. You know what's amazing about this one, though? It didn't make a dent in the market. Well, actually, it did. You want to know how much this hack went ahead and caused a sell-off? 2%. That's it. It wasn't even a big dip. We see 2 and 3% dips constantly. And then they spike back up just for reasons that no one can explain. Why did that change? I don't know. No one can explain these things. <sighs> but at the same time, we are seeing some other concerns. You see, crypto's in a very odd space because it's now cold. The market is just, what's the right word for it? There's not really any big activity. It's just kind of a lot of people are in a holding pattern and that sort of thing. And no one's really mining right now. And what we're starting to see as both crypto no longer needs GPUs to go ahead and mine, and we start going into financial uncertainty with a potential global recession, we are seeing a sharp dip in semiconductor manufacturing, which is very odd because the chip shortage is still being cited as for why we cannot get our hands on any vehicles. Now, here's my question. Does this mean that that those ridiculous uh, RTX 40 series will actually go down to a reasonable price? Well, no, because everyone's actually trying to go ahead and reduce their manufacturing. We've, of course, reported on the fact that AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel have been trying to get TSMC to scale back their orders. As a result, we're now seeing Keoxia 
decreased their flash production by 30% at two of their plants. Everyone's starting to scale back production. And, and part of this is the fact that now the pandemic is over and all of a sudden the great giant need to get computers to work from home is now not necessary as people as either A, gotten their computers and have their work at home set up pretty much set up since the pandemic started, or B, are being dragged back to their office place kicking and screaming because they don't want to go. Or C, are actually willingly going back to the workplace, but those people are weird. I'm just saying, it's easier to do my bookkeeping in, in pajamas. Life was easier when you could wear, wear a t-shirt that looked like a suit rather than actually having to wear a suit into the office. Just saying. And it's not that they're going ahead and pushing for preventing dips in the future. It's happening now. Samsung is already seeing profit plunges on their chip making side of things as the demand is already starting to go down. AMD is seeing their profit margins go down. And this is partially due to the fact that there's now a surge of used GPUs out there and the demand for computers has gone down as people are looking forward, trying to save money, hold on to it for what's going on. And also, let's be honest, in the case of AMD, a lot of people didn't buy anything because they knew RDNA 3 and Ryzen 7000 is just around the corner. You know, there is that too. The thing is, in all this, I am curious to see how the market adapts to all this. We see a lot of global destabilization going on with locations where these chip makers are. Some people in chat were talking about the situation with Taiwan. China is really butthurt about Taiwan and also butthurt about the way they're running themselves and how everyone else is kind of laughing at them for running themselves. I'm laughing at them for running themselves. Look at them. These are all big issues. Far bigger than this podcast has any right to talk about. In the end, all we can do is wait and see how this all goes down. We're going to take a break here when we come back. I want to talk about the EU and what it means for Apple. Yeah, we're going to be talking about USB-C and lightning. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I thought this law already passed. Like, every bit of news I thought I saw in regards to the USB-C law inside the European Union, I thought it already passed. It now has officially passed, even though it technically hasn't passed, it has to go through one more phase, which is more of a formality than anything, but it is now confirmed the EU will be adopting the USB-C phone charger law thingamajig, which basically requires all phones to use USB-C as a standard charging port by 2024. All right, world's easiest prediction. Even though I've been making this exact same freaking prediction for the last what 28 years the iphone 15 and 15 pro are gonna have USB C. 
I think the way they're going to do it is the iPhone 15 is going to have USB C, going to have USB C, um, three point whatever. Then the iPhone Pros are going to have the super high end USB four version two or what or whatever the heck stupid freaking name that um that the USB promoter group calls it now because the USB promoter group cannot name something to save their freaking lives. God forbid they use a standard. Yes, I am still annoyed by this. I am still annoyed by USB 4.0 version two. Can't they just go ahead and just say 4.1 like they had for so long before they started doing, oh, it's 3.2 revision three. What the frick does that mean? Someone in chat says Eagle Big Man at USB. You're freaking right I am. It's so obnoxious. Cause here's what I know. If I'm annoyed at the f- at the way they're numbering things, then I know that people who are way less tech savvy have no prayer of understanding the difference. Cause imagine this, you know what's gonna happen. All right, you have USB 4.0 version version two, which actually is a big revision. So what happens when 4.1 comes around? Which is newer? I know which one's gonna be newer because I ranted so long about 4.0 version two. How am I gonna expect my mother to know the difference? How the heck am I gonna expect anyone else to know the difference? You know there's gonna be people who are not as tech savvy as I am, but are around the same age just trying to go, what, what, what's the difference? Someone in chat says, are you ready for USB 5.22746? You know what? I am more welcome to that because you know what? At least I know ver- uh, USB 5.22746 is a higher end version than USB 5.12746. At least then I know where it is. How the heck are you supposed to know what's better? USB 4.0 version 2 or USB 4.1? How would you know you wouldn't? That's why I'm big mad. Although knowing the USB promoter group, they would count backwards after counting forwards. <sighs> Someone in chat says there's an FF14 slung for that. Oh uh, yeah. I, I think that's what the USB promoter group runs on. Forward and back and then forward and back and then go forward and back and then one foot forward. That's how they operate. They keep going back and forth, back and forth and never know how to count freaking forward. <sighs> in any case, this will mean that Apple will in fact have to adopt USB-C or not have to switch for it. But you then have to, you then have to ask yourself, but Eagle, you predicted for the longest time, the base iPhone would go to wireless charging and the pro iPhone would then switch to Thunderbolt. So now that the law is actually finalized, here is basically, unless things change with the actual physical size of the devices, what would end up changing? All the iPhones, all of them, normal and the pro size, mini and max would have to have USB-C to comply with the EU tool or rule. They cannot be MagSafe only. They cannot. It would then not be in compliance with the law. That caveat for wireless only being appropriate are are for devices only slightly bigger than a watch. So things like smartwatches, earbuds, those sort of things are allowed to charge via wireless only. Like for example, I have a, uh, who makes it? 
They used to be called Plantronics, but it's, there's someone else now. I think they're called Poly, but I digress. I have a wireless, I have a wireless headset that when I'm actually driving connects to, connects to my phone via Bluetooth. And it's the only headset I can find or the only audio device that can connect, that, that actually has a, has, has a good enough microphone that can charge wireless only, even though that device actually has micro USB. The case that goes to, however, is too big and would need to charge via USB-C to comply with this law. So this means in order for Apple devices to be sold, not only would the iPhones have to shift, but, and this is, this is gold, the AirPods cases would also have to shift to USB-C. You know what else would have to switch to USB-C? That stupid mouse that Apple designed that they're still too dumb to go ahead and put the actual charging port of their magic mouse in a place that actually makes some freaking sense, that would also have to switch to USB-C. By the way, that mouse still has its lightning charging port underneath the mouse. I still cannot believe that Apple still has their mouse charge on the bottom of the mouse. It is the dumbest place to put it. Someone in chat asks, of course it's there. Where else do they put it? The side? The front of it? The side of it would make the most sense. There's a huge space where they could put it. And it, it has been a black eye on Apple's design team for the longest time, and they still haven't fixed it. And I can't believe they still haven't fixed it. It blows me away. Why the heck does this mouse still blight the planet with its existence it annoys me it annoys me so much what the heck is with this episode of eagle eyes on tech and me getting sidetracked by the most petty of things someone in chat asked how to get past q a i don't know it is still blows me away it really really does but now that wait q a we mean q a not q and a it didn't get i don't know how it got past q a and q a Oh, the, the, the mouse is just infuriating. I'm actually just very quickly getting the, uh, the magic mouse up on the screen so people know that I'm not lying. The fact that, in fact, they still wa- have this charging port on the bottom of the mouse. And you can see here, it's just right there. They could very easily put the port right here. Or, you know what they could do? Apple could go ahead and steal a tech that pretty much only Logitech does right now. Someone in chat says the cord there would make the mouse unusable still. How? The cord would just be coming out of the side of the mouse. That's it. The mouse is already so low, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. The the Magic Mouse is already so low profile. This is already an unusable mouse. You should not absolutely use this mouse to begin with. They ask, how would you place your hand? Above it, duh. I mean, the mouse is so low profile, you're not putting your, your hands on the side anyway. Like this isn't like a normal mouse where your palm and everything very nicely caresses out of the whole thing and it actually is somewhat comfortable to use. This is not that kind of mouse. This is a mouse that was designed for form first and then to flip you off afterwards. Let's get that right for starters. The the sucker's only like, how tall is this thing? The sucker's only 2.16 centimeters at its highest point. That's it. So you're already like gripping the sides of this thing barely as it is because the entire top is a touch surface i called this thing a bar of soap when it first landed it, it is 
terrible. Friends don't let friends buy the, buy the magic mouse. It is awful. In fact, it really only functions via magic. You have to be magic in order to use it without being painful. All right, let's actually switch to something that doesn't infuriate me. Let's switch over to the Intel Arc A70 and A50. I'm sorry, the A770 and the A750. So first off, I'd like to say I am glad that the embargo for these reviews lifted a week before consumers can buy them. That is one thing I absolutely hated about NVIDIA GPUs and AMD to a lesser extent. The embargo lifts like as you're already, as you'd already have to be in line in order to buy the buy it. Like NVIDIA releases theirs on launch day. So if you found out there was bad news about these GPUs that they just hilariously underperform and all the marketing you were told was a lie, you wouldn't know until you're already in line trying to buy it. Intel has given you a full week before you decide to camp out in front of that store. And these GPUs were interesting. I say they're interesting simply because depending on your use case, they are very good cards. If you are using modern DirectX 12 games, these cards perform fairly well. They are competitive with AMD's 6600 XT, which is available for around the same price. They are a brand new player. Most likely these GPUs are gonna end up going down in value because they're brand new and they're gonna have to move because not a whole lot of people are gonna trust them. Like these are a pretty competent option. Some people, uh, someone in chat says their encoding engine is good as well. I'd actually love to see how well these cards from a stream encoding angle would be compared to NVIDIA's. That I'd be very curious about. I would not mind finding out that throwing in one of these cards into say a budget workstation would make for a, for a very good and efficient streaming rig. It'd be very nice to find out in fact, but, and here's the big but, DirectX 11, you take a significant performance hit. And even lower than that, you take an even bigger performance hit. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, and I keep mixing these up, but I want to say DirectX 10 and 9. These Intel Arc cards can only do via emulation, which then puts a substantial CPU load on the rest of your system, which can cause an even bigger performance hit. In addition, you need to have a feature called resizable bar enabled on these GPUs. Otherwise, they also take a significant performance hit. So I would say if you are willing to experiment, and that's the key here, you have to be willing to experiment with one of these GPUs, or you only use the most modern, the absolute most modern titles, you're in good shape. If you tend to play older titles, this may not be the best choice. Now, there is one elephant in the, uh, in the review cast that actually very surprisingly stood out. I'm not sure how many of you out there go ahead and keep an eye on the tech YouTubers. Linus, G's Two Cents, Hardware Unboxed, Gamers Nexus, and all of them. Linus, because he's now got a, an entire building now dedicated to testing and also dedicated to poor life decisions. They can go ahead and test a plethora of titles. Jay's Two Cents, of course, found these cards to be extremely good because they revamped their entire testing suite to mostly modern titles. Gamers Nexus, on the other hand, 
I don't know who peed in in Steve's cereal, but man, they hated on these Intel cards hard, far harder than I think they deserved. And I think a chunk of that has to do with early drivers. So overclock on these cards right now is basically non-existent, mostly because all the overclocking tools right now don't know what to do with these cards. Give them time, you're gonna see MSI Afterburner know how to tweak these cards. Give them time and you'll see EVGA, oh, I'm kidding, you're not gonna see EVGA X perform <laughs> do anything with these anymore. <laughs> oh. oh, I made myself sad. But you get the idea. And Steve and Gamers Nexus, for reasons that I cannot explain, put the blame for that solely on, on Intel. I don't know how you do that. It's not like Intel makes MSI Afterburner. And on top of that, it's still a week before launch. I, I'm, in any case, getting back to my point instead of rambling, I have a feeling that Gamers Nexus got an outdated driver and had far more performance problems or their pre-production card had an older firmware because they were reporting that some of their monitors didn't even detect the card or gave them a thumbnail screen. And then also Gamers Nexus got really upset with the construction of the ARC limited edition cards. They complained about the fact there was fabric tape on the inside holding wires down, that there was something like 56 screws holding the thing together, adhesive on the back of aluminum strips that were used for decorative purposes. Their comment was they feel it was unreasonable to say that anyone should have to go through all that to disassemble their GPU for basic maintenance. Here's my response to it. And, I, and I'm not an Intel fan by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not. The answer is written right on the card. It's limited edition. Intel, these aren't meant to be like the founder's edition. These aren't meant to be like or the founder's edition that we have nowadays. These aren't to be like the founder's edition of originally when we had founder's edition. Back when we had like, say, the founder's edition of the GTX 780 when they first did Founders Edition. They are meant to be an item that marks the occasion. They are meant to be a premium product. Think about this for a minute. These are the first discrete Intel GPUs that weren't killed and thrown into a dumpster. They wanted to go ahead and have it look special, be unique, and be something that could be collectible. That was the design of these limited edition cards. So of course it's gonna be very awkward and strange to go ahead and take these things apart. There was a lot of choices that did that to go ahead and make it so that it looked clean on the outside. Were there ways to do, do that and actually be consumer friendly? Of course. For example, the GTX 70 I'm holding right now, they went ahead and used screws that have a very industrial look to it. Like this thing looks like a car part. They went with like a more unique industrial design on it. My personal advice, if you want a piece of history and you want to collect, get the limited edition. If you don't, don't. Whatever the heck Asus, Galax, and whoever else is left in the GPU space that's gonna be making these cards, they're gonna, whatever they're gonna make is gonna be cheaper and a better cooler anyway. I think these cards should be left to what they are. They are a collector's item. And that's how they should be approached as not as something that should be put into 
constant production. That being said, I don't think that these Intel GPUs should be put into a full production environment in the first place. Not something that's going to be mission critical anyway, or something you need to rely on every single day. At least not until the drivers have finished being fully baked. Anyway, did I actually get my point out about all of uh, the Intel GPUs there? I actually don't know. I actually really don't know. Was there a point to all of that? All right, let's shift gears over to Twitch, shall we? So I want to talk about Twitch's opening. Now, not a lot of people have actually talked about the opening ceremony of Twitch. I went ahead and said, TwitchCon, this is going to be one of the most important Twitch cons in a long, long time. For those of you who don't know why, Twitch went ahead and a couple weeks ago, first off, banned some unregulated gambling, which, yay. But then also at the same time, or rather a few hours later, put out a letter at the crack of dawn and pre-dawn to a lot of areas about the fact that Twitch provides so many tools for streamers to use and simultaneously that whole 70-30 split you hear a lot of the big streamers have, we're never going to do that ever again. Those who do get that cut will only get it now for the first 100k. And, and, for those who want that 70-30 split, which by the way, their next competition, YouTube, does give that 70-30 split when it comes to subs or membership revenue on, for all creators, I might add. Twitch's response is, we give you tools to monetize in other ways, like an ad manager that is imperfect at best, and also the hype train as a revenue generator. You know, that fun little quirky thing that people try to build it up as much as possible. You don't need that 70-30 that split. You've got the hype train. You, you have the Twitch Prime subs that we don't really push anymore and actually made it actually effort to go ahead and do a Twitch Prime. So those of you who actually have Twitch Prime, have you seen where the option is to, to sub with Twitch Prime? It went from a big blue noticeable box to a small checkbox you gotta scroll and find. You wanna know why streamers, your Twitch Prime revenue has gone down drastically? That's why. They are basically hiding the blasted option. But of course, the, the frickin' tone-deaf CEO that's done so much to help the little guy, by the way. So much you don't even know, and I still don't know, even though I keep an eye on this sort of thing on the constant, has done so much that those useful things they want to tote are almost impossible to find. While they continue to take away features upon, a, upon features and want to instead push an ads manager that will do more to harm the viewer experience and ruin your viewership numbers as a whole than actually generate the revenue you're missing. Oh, and by the way, if you're an affiliate, don't even think about that 55% they were talking about. That's not happening for you. That's only for the partners. Only the partners actually get to make a decent amount of pay for ruining their content. And no normally I wouldn't even care that much about partners actually getting a better cut than affiliates. But it's the fact that they're getting a better cut for ruining their experience. Needless to say right now, Twitch leadership has no idea what it's doing. And it actually is not only upsetting from the point of view of a Twitch creator, but honestly just borderline offensive that we're supposed to go ahead and talk about how great 
the Twitch community is while they just continue to just not do anything to address their own platform. It very much gives kind of French Revolution vibes. Oh, the Twitch CEO is going to be like, let them eat cake while we go ahead and run ads and make generate a grand total of let's see how many how much my ad revenue is right now keep in mind actually on my channel i actually do run ads pretty frequently i run ads every 50 minutes during actual standing breaks and when i'm actually podcasting every 30 minutes between each of the segments i run some ads you know when you're supposed to when there's nothing going on go ahead run them don't run them in the middle of when there's actually action, like the ads manager almost indefinitely will. Now, how much revenue did that get me? Oh, 91 cents. What great incentives. It's just fantastic. So, in any case, with that rant out of the way, TwitchCon is when the CEO gets up on stage and talks at great lengths of the future to come to Twitch. So, what did we get? Well, um... They talked about Twitch guests, which it's hard for me to pass judgment on Twitch guests because I don't understand how it will be implemented and how to use it in a very effective manner. But it's supposed to allow other streamers to come onto your stream as a guest host of some kind. Again, detail-wise, I'll have to see how it works and how it can be in incorporated into a professional stream rather than say one that's, you know, running off an Xbox. The thing that's more annoying though, is the fact that Twitch Guests was demoed for the sole purpose of having Activision Blizzard on the stage for roughly 10 minutes to talk about how happy they are that they turned Overwatch from a interesting evolution of a Team Fortress 2-like game to a, a free-to-play monetization cash cow which we'll get into some of the, how great that launch went, by the way. Their other announcement was that now the minimum payout for Twitch, for Twitch affiliates and partners is going to be $50 instead of 100 That was it. That was literally it. A collaboration tool, which may or may not make things more interesting, and a payout change that not only could have been an email, but was! an email we've known the change has been coming i only phrase it that way because someone else in chat said this con could have been an email and the best part is that that guest stars feature was also already an email it was an email before and was in testing with select partners so the ceo goes up on stage after basically insulting all of our intelligence with this letter because this letter this blog post still grinds my gears it really really does there's no other way to say it it is a hot mess and to make matters even worse when they need to announce something big and bold and why they are the place to stream over youtube they reveal nothing you know what you know what though it's oddly fitting that of all people to be on the other side of their guest stars call, it's Blizzard. Because the way Twitch is currently running themselves is very reminiscent of the World of Warcraft team. It really, really is. And I don't want to hate 
on Twitch. I mean, I'm still a Twitch streamer and I don't intend on leaving quite yet, but it's for that reason I rail on them hard. It is for that reason I angrily rant because they need, underline, need to step up their game or they're going to end up just like Mixer. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, let's talk about Google. I mean, Google has plenty of stuff to announce. A lot of cool things. They, they would never, ever kill anything, right? Stadia is still alive, right? We'll be back. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. There is one other thing I forgot to talk about as far as Twitch. And this actually, oddly enough, was not announced in the opening ceremony, at least to my knowledge. I will admit I did fast forward through a lot of the opening ceremony because a lot of it was just them stroking their own ego. I did remember they talked about three features. I did, I did forget to mention what the first feature they talked about was because it mattered that little. They want to just reiterate how they do charity streams now. And it's so easy to do. And it's so good that they do them, even though you are actually much better off talking about and doing charity streams through literally anything but Twitch's integrated system, in my personal opinion. Now. One other feature that Twitch has been working on and has been tested on a good number of other streams, a number of other, yeah, another n number of other streams has something they call elevated chats. These are the clone of super chats from YouTube, which YouTube, which super chats from YouTube was their answer to bits. You type a message, donate, do donate money. And then the chat is the chat message is locked at the top of the screen for a, an amount of time. On YouTube, it goes through like a, a, a formula. Someone put up, put up uh, what they heard was the mix, although I think it's a little bit wrong because I want to say that uh, they're saying one to five dollars is zero seconds, but I'm pretty sure it ends up th up there for a little bit. But in any case, before it was five dollars would get you 30 seconds, ten dollars would get you 60 seconds, twenty five dollars would get you 1.5 minutes, so 90 seconds, fifty dollars would get you two minutes or 120 seconds, and $100 would get you two and a half minutes, or, you know, 150 seconds. This was terrible, because it actually was more economically better for you to just, instead of donate $100 to get your message up there for two and a half minutes, to instead spend $25 in five separate times to get your message up there five times for 30 seconds each. This has now changed. The new program is shifting what each of the values are. Now, $5 gets you 30 seconds, $10 gets you 60 seconds, $25 gets you two and a half minutes, $50 gets you five minutes, and $100 gets you 10 minutes. This is better, but this is still bad. Look, here's my first problem with it. This tiered amount is terrible. One of the main reasons why bits work so well on Twitch is because a lot of us memers, and I used to be one of them, but like just, you know, I haven't had a chance to really do it. What they'll do is that they'll set very specific amounts to go ahead and trigger 
very specific alerts. And these elevated messages obviously will trigger alerts. You can also set it on YouTube so that Super Chats will trigger alerts as well, okay? The fact that they're trying to be rigid here with this 5, 10, 25, 50, and $100 tiered system is um, awful. Just straight up, it's awful. That is my biggest complaint about this thing. Super Chats will just fall into a tiered sort of system. So you can go pay whatever you want. If it just falls within this range, the message will be up there for a certain amount of time. Look, here's what I'll say, Twitch. If you're going to copy the Super Chat system and have that replace bits, which is what we're kind of seeing here, here's what needs to happen. A, you need to give better incentive to go ahead and pay higher amounts. Because right now it's just the same. It's just the same time for each higher amount. Like at the bare minimum, $100 should be 11 minutes. Give that 10% extra, all right? And two, don't be rigid. Don't. This is terrible. And I would much rather, if, th if you're going to continue this rigid method of 5, 10, 25, 50, 100, of just saying, look, don't, don't use this system. Just donate directly through this button. That's my thoughts on this. The fact that they're being rigid with this, I think, is the worst. All right. Let's talk about the Pixel Watch. Google has finally launched a watch. And for the most part, it is, it's a watch. So the watch pretty much does exactly everything that a Galaxy watch does. You know, a thousand nits of brightness, it's 320 pixels per inch AMOLED screen, it's running Wear OS, um, it's running a Cortex M33 co-processor with an Exynos 9110 system on a chip, two gigs of RAM, 30 gigs of flash storage, Wi-Fi 4, Bluetooth 5.0, optional 4G connectivity, so it can be its own phone as well. You know, it's basically exactly what you'd expect. Here's the thing that annoys me a little bit with it. It uses a proprietary watch band. For them to try and go ahead and not have the, uh, they wanted to go ahead and have a much more seamless looking design, much like the Apple Watch. And because of that, they're using a proprietary watch band design. I'm not a fan of that. I really am not. Because I actually like my, I'm not wearing it now. I actually put my watch on the charger, so it's plenty charged for so I can measure my blood pressure rate when I'm savage rating later, but I digress. But I like the watch band I have on it. I'm gonna keep using that until it's worn out enough that I can't use it anymore. If I wanted to go ahead and switch to this, I can't use that watch band anymore. And by the looks of it, they're just gonna only use silicon or silicone watch bands and not a fan of that. But I guess it is what it is. A lot of people have also been complaining about the bezels on the watch. They're the same size bezels as every other Android watch. The only smartwatch on the market right now that has smaller bezels than the Pixel Watch is the Apple Watch, and they've been doing this longer. That's why. You can, the reason it looks so big is because the Pixel Watch went into this design where the entire front is glass. There's no like metal edge for the bezel at all on it. So it's just edge to edge glass. So the bezel now looks more prompt. It's just dead space under the glass. It's fine, honestly. I wouldn't go for it just, but that's also because I'm a bit more active in the workspace, handling big equipment, hauling out cargo out of a van. You know, it's just the environment I'm in. I'm a bit more rougher. So I wouldn't want glass at the very edge of my watch. That's just asking for a cracked watch face. In the end, you do, you do what you gotta do. It's a very interesting watch. I'm kind of mixed on it. Oh yeah. Also, uh, Google announced the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro. 
No, they don't have headphone jacks. I think I just answered the only question people care about. Like, I don't know how this happened, but the Pixel phones have become boring. Like, there's nothing really flashy about them. What do they have? Oh, they have a, uh, a face detection sensor on the front, like they've had for a while, and nobody cares. Okay, what else do they have? Oh, they have um, cameras on the back. Yeah, every other phone does too. What else you got? Um, they have their own processor built into it. Yeah, well, the last time they said they had their own processor built in and they, and they claimed it was good, it was actually terrible. What else you got? Um, it, 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 it has an unblur that might work. They have been leaking these phones so much that when they actually launch, you're bored. I didn't even bother getting a story for them. The pro is like 800 bucks and the regular is like 600 or something. I don't know. It's a non-expandable phone with boring features and a processor that we don't know how it performs. I wouldn't recommend even thinking about getting a Pixel phone until we actually see independent reviews on how they perform. Because man, the last generation Pixel phone and it's terrible terrible performance really makes you rethink trying to get one it really does and it is going to be a big issue for pixel phones moving forward uh that being said um google did also show off an ai generator that makes hd video from uh from text prompts aren't you looking forward to a youtube and that was my soap dish falling again good to know anyway Google showed off its AI generator that creates HD video from text prompts. You know what the worst part is? I can see it now. A new kind of YouTube where you search for something and YouTube creates the video out of thin air when you type a search for it. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. You can, you can see it too. I'll tell you what though. You know who's really being put out of business by this concept? The concept of creating HD video from text prompts. How to basic. That that Australian's gonna actually need to go get a real job. He can't destroy his house any anymore with eggs. If an AI can do it without actually destroying the house, what else are you supposed to do? Uh, but while Google is going ahead and making cursed videos with AI, Google also takes away. Ladies and gentlemen, a moment of silence for Stadia. Stadia has officially been killed. And here's some good news. If you were dumb enough to actually spend money on Stadia, you will get a full refund. For those of you who don't remember what Stadia is, which one person either is seri seriously or sarcastically asking what, st what Stadia is, I'm not sure which, but I'll answer it seriously anyway. Stadia was a cloud gaming service that that Google launched, and they're actually the first of this space that I know of, in which you buy digital games, and then the game that you're playing has its image and every single frame rendered in the cloud, and then the rendered frame is streamed to you. So you never own any physical hardware. You never own the actual physical game. It is all done and handled in the cloud adding that latency of doing it in the cloud to every single thing you do. So you could theoretically go ahead and play the latest and greatest games, and all you need is a Chromecast attached to a TV. That's it. You wanna know why it was killed? They couldn't get Stadia off the ground when no one could get a GPU or a game console. We had a full year of no, of, 
of these GPUs right here being rarer than gold. Next-gen game consoles that you could go ahead and stream the games for from Stadia, you couldn't get your hands on. You couldn't get your hands on the PS5. Where is it? Right over there. You're going to get your hands on this. It didn't exist. It might as well have been a unicorn. You can play those games on Stadia and all you're buying is just the game. You didn't even have to invest $500 up front for the console and it couldn't take off. That little interest was in it. Everything was perfect. Absolutely perfect for Stadia and no one wanted to invest in it. No one wanted to get anything for it. But you know what's interesting about the way Stadia was killed? Did you know two days before it was announced it was dying, they just launched a huge UI overhaul? Internal memos revealed that the internal staff only knew Stadia was being killed one and a half hours before the rest of us did. Every single internal developer within Google that was working in the Stadia division found out the exact same time we did. Otherwise, they have been working their butts off to save their division. Gone. That's incredible. It really is. Just gone. Just like that. I'd say I've been calling it. I've been calling that Stadia was going to be killed for the longest time. I'm not even going to declare I, and I told you so. Because this is a pattern of Google's. How many times have you heard Google kills a project time and time again? Let's be honest. I mean, what does Google own that has actually stood the test of time? Gmail, Android, Chrome OS, for some reason. I don't know why. I wish Chrome OS would actually die. I hate it. A terrible operating system. Friends don't let friends use Chrome OS. Google search. The Google Play platform, a good chunk of it is actually already dead, but at least the Google Play store is still around. Heck, around here we had Play podcasts that were on the Google system for a while. We then had to transition off that over to Google Podcasts because they decided Play Podcast should be killed, only to replace it with another, even worse product to actually navigate. Like, Google has a history of this, of just killing products. There is a website dedicated to all the things Google has killed. Someone in chat sarcastically asks how long until YouTube is killed. I don't think they're going to kill YouTube just because it's actually still profitable. But at the same time, you can't rule it completely out. I know he's joking about it, but is it safe? You never know with Google. It's kind of weird. The way it just kills things that seemed like a good idea. I mean, heck, YouTube right now is testing trying to put 4K video behind a paywall. Honestly, to be per real talk, that's not the worst idea in the world. <sighs> anyway, I feel like we've now talked about nothing long enough. Let's instead actually just move on from Stadia and how it die. Let's instead talk about how Manifest 3 is coming soon. We talked about this briefly, I think, last week, or it was on an early bird briefing. I can't remember which now. But Manifest 3 is coming in 2023, and tons of people are saying it is going to kill Adblock. Everyone panic, your Adblock is kill. Can we all calm down for a second? Your Adblock is not kill. Let's be perfectly honest with ourselves for five minutes. Your Adblock is not dead. Your Adblock already, in fact, is in the middle of being ready for Manifest version 3. And we have until 2023 for it to happen. 
What now like it's very easy to say, oh look at that. Google owns Chrome. Google's implementing new extension manifest version three. And Manifest 3 is incompatible right now with all the ad blockers and it's going to kill them all. See, my tinfoil hat conspiracy is justified. Ah, Google wants to kill all ad blockers. All ads be Google. It's their thing to rule the internets. You do know other people update their stuff too, right? I'm just saying. We can calm down and think logically for a minute. Someone in chat says it's time to migrate to Firefox. I mean, you can. I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead. By all means, Firefox needs more love, but it's not necessary. We don't need to all just jump the bandwagon and say, all right, well, Firefox for me, okay, bye. Woo! It's not the worst idea in the world, to be perfectly honest. But can we all just stop the hyperbole? It's, stop it, stop. Your ad blockers will most likely be updated in time for it. Zone in chat says manifest version three will not allow ad blockers to function as they do now. Not kill them, but they'll not work as well. Many of them have already said they are finding workarounds around this. You know what this actually reminds me of? Remember how everyone was talking about, what was it? It was one of the versions of Intel CPUs and how it was gonna kill a bunch of DRM. And everyone panicked, this is, oh, this is why DRM's bad. I mean, DRM's bad, by the way. I'm not gonna argue that. But the fear mongering of saying that, oh, hey, all these games are not are gonna cease to function and that motorcycle is gonna be really annoying and picked up on my mic anyway as as people are gonna go, go ahead there was a patch that fixed almost all of them and then life moved on can we just stop this kind of nonsense it's important to let people know that yeah these sort of things are going on and things might happen but the articles after articles after articles after articles trying to say that all ad blockers are dead is getting so so old for crying out loud, if I wanted to ingest actual garbage, I'd go to InfoWars. That being said, I actually already forgot. Did we actually talk about uh, the fact that YouTube is testing premium subscriptions for 4K video on the podcast already, or was that between breaks? I now forgot in all of my ranting. I also forgot I actually had an article talking about specifically that. In any case, Google is currently testing premium subscriptions for 4K videos. It is currently in a testing phase, much like how Google has been testing, trying to run five ad unskippable ads in a row on certain users. Why does it feel like right now that YouTube is like vault Tech from the Fallout series running social experiments to see how their guinea pigs will go insane? It's what it feels like. Now, that being said, I do think a subscription model for like 4k video for this kind of content is understandable it really is now i say this as someone who you know owns absolutely zero 4k monitors to actually watch 4k content in so this literally doesn't affect me at freaking all so maybe i'd have a different opinion if i actually watched 4k content and perhaps actually cared about the big difference between someone's oddball informative video about this that or the other thing in 4k versus 1080p but right now i would say free 1080 and free 720 is fine and then 4k and up that's a lot of bandwidth to use it really is so a few more features to go ahead and put into the premium subscription tier i think is fine all right we're gonna take our last break here when we come back twitter 
Twitter. I can't believe we're talking about Twitter. It's 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 back in the news, boys. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. I cannot believe it. Musk buying Twitter is apparently about to happen. So out of almost nowhere, because this story literally fell out of my mind. You remember how the whole saga went? Uh, Musk's tried to go ahead and first Musk bought a, uh, a stunning amount of Twitter stock. Then... Twitter offered him a position on the board. Elon then turned it down. Then then started making moves to buy Twitter. Then Twitter went ahead and implemented a poison pill method to attempt to block the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk. Then Elon Musk put forward a formal deal. Twitter began to accept the formal deal. Then Elon Musk twi- accused Twitter of having too many bots. Then Elon Musk pulled out of trying to buy Twitter only for then Twitter to insist that Elon buy it. Elon then said no, unless you get get this info. Then some back and forth. Then Elon formerly tried to retract the deal, and now Twitter's trying to sue Elon to force Elon to buy Twitter, which may or may not work. I'm leaning more towards won't work, but will get a ton of money out of Elon in damages. Everyone follow that? Because here's the next hurdle in the roller coaster. Elon has changed his mind months later and says that, yes, he will buy Twitter. And then very briefly says that buying Twitter is all part of building the all-purpose app that's going to be just named X, which I have no idea is actually real or not. I just can't even with this guy. I I literally can't even. So everyone's followed that, right? So I don't know what the future of Twitter is going to be. I really don't. There's a lot of people speculating, and I'm kind of in that boat as well, that after months of going over the deal with his lawyers, Elon realized he was not going to win the lawsuit, and that either he was going to have to pay penalties as well as damages, or the judge was going to force him to go through with the deal. I don't think legally a judge can force anyone to buy anything, So I think the former was more likely that Twitter would have maintained ownership of themselves and received a huge sum of money from Elon in damages. But some people are still insisting that the judge would force Elon to buy, which doesn't make sense. But I mean, when your options are either spend, how much was it? 54 million? 44 billion. I'm sorry. I, I missed three zeros. 44 billion or pay almost, if not more, more than that money in damages, you're just going to buy it. So I, I don't know if he actually has plans on actually doing anything with Twitter or if he's just going to let it run under current ownership and just try to make his money back and just make the best of the situation. I can try and look at Twitter as logically as I possibly can, but here's, here's the short of it. Elon's mind works in ways that I cannot fathom. Because if I was designing a car, I would not put a yoke for a steering wheel in it. I just wouldn't. I know that that's a bad idea. I would not go ahead and change the turnstocks and put them into capacitive buttons that you cannot feel the difference of by touch. That is a terrible design. I would not have done a lot of the things that Tesla does 
but they're still well-selling cars. And I think that's mostly just due to a cult-like belief. To say that I understand Elon's mind, I don't. It's just a lie. I, I don't. But I guarantee you Elon has more money in his wallet than I have in mine. Mostly because in my wallet I have a single dollar and a Powerball lottery ticket in my wallet. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Actually, I think I can check the numbers on that, on that lottery ticket. I'm pretty sure I lost, you know, because that's how it goes. Now, here's the other thing. Before anyone starts going that this is the end of Twitter, Twitter is just absolutely terrible. It's shot. Oh, man, they, Elon's going to run into the ground. It's not like Twitter's been in a good spot for the last few years. Until recently, name the most... Name the most interesting thing Twitter has done, aside from this last week. Twitter has been a stagnant platform that is barely breaking even. The only thing Twitter has going for it is the is name recognition. That's it. It's not like the app has been very well managed at all. It just continues to just function and exist. We have been demanding features out of Twitter forever, and... Twitter has just pretty much been sitting there with its thumb, thumb up its butts forever. It's kind of funny that on the same week that Elon says we're going to go ahead and buy Twitter, Twitter finally, after 10,000 years or 10 decades, I'm not sure which, or 10 lifetimes, Twitter has finally rolled out an edit button. You want to know when the first time that someone asked for an edit button on Twitter? Day two of its freaking existence! Since the very freaking beginning, we have been asking for an edit button. Before I even knew Twitter existed, people have been asking for an edit button. I don't know why I said we. I've never been a part of that, that band. And it only took Twitter's entire existence to finally roll on an edit button. Now, granted, there is one problem. The edit button is exclusive to Twitter Blue subscribers. And only to Twitter Blue subscribers in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. If you want the ability to go ahead and change your typo, you have to pay for that privilege. Otherwise, you have to delete your message and repost it like the rest of the scrubs. And there is an emblem that will show up next to your tweet, and then show a changelog of all the edits. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I don't blame Twitter for putting it behind their subscription model. They got to make their money. They've barely been, they've barely been breaking even for years upon years upon years. But holy cow, the fact that it took them this long to make a freaking edit button is staggering. It is just absolutely Mind-blowing. Oh, and by the way, one of the other changes they've done, and you've already seen meme lords go ahead and use this, and this feature's for free, by the way. This is a feature I would have expected to be behind blue. If I actually had to put it, I would have expected this feature I'm about to talk about to be behind the subscription paywall and the edit button to not be. I would have figured it's the other way around. But no, you can now mix videos, images, and GIFs together in one tweet. First thing someone said in chat, so many hope memes. Yeah, like I said, the meme lords have been out in force with this new feature. So many memes of the Pope holding up that uh, that dancing cat to various music of varying soothings and uh, chaos chaos sounds. 
But it is interesting that, you know, all these features only show up after Elon says we're going to buy you. And now, earlier, chat was talking about how the engineering from Elon and Tesla has been very impressive. And for the most part, it has. But there's some oddball sections where it's just like, are you serious? Really? The interior of the plaid models of the Teslas has been my biggest sticking point, to be perfectly honest. It has been infuriating. The fact that this is actually in a production model of a car, and it is just something that I would consider undrivable, that is not safe to drive for any extended period of time. And the defenders of it will, go, will usually bounce back and say, but it's not supposed to be actively driven. Self-driving is the future of this vehicle. Okay, cool, cool. I, 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 th that'd be nice if self-driving was actually in the production models. Self-driving is still in beta, an open beta, which is very irresponsible, I might add. Incredibly irresponsible. Someone in chat also reminds me, by the way, it's an open beta that costs $10,000. The open beta that costs 25% of the cost of the car. How could I forget that detail? See, most other places have to charge their beta testers to test something. Tesla turns a profit on it somehow. But oddly enough, you would think that self-driving, you'd want more sensors. You'd want as many sensors as possible to ensure you're getting as much information as possible, which seems kind of odd that Tesla is going to be dropping the ultrasonic sensors from its EVs going forward and relying basically solely on cameras. Okay. I guess, I'm not gonna lie, this is not instilling a lot of confidence in their, in their self-driving capability. The fact that we just seem to see less and less and less of these sensors after we hear, oh, you need this, you need that, you need LiDAR, you need cameras, you need proximity sensors, you need, you need ultrasonic sensors, you need radar, so that the computer has so much more usable information to go ahead and drive as accurately as possible. This is all flying kind of contrary to the fact and if it weren't and you know i'd have more faith in tesla in this decision if it weren't for the fact that their testers as i mentioned before are average joe schmoes that went ahead and paid 10k and that their qualifications are the fact that they had ten thousand dollars and like tesla to go ahead and test this sort of stuff it's um very concerning it does make me glad, though, that Tesla is not the only company out there testing full, capable self-driving. Anyway, I feel like if I mention Elon Musk anymore, I'm going to explode. So instead, let's talk about Overwatch. So, Overwatch 2 has officially launched, and it has had some problems. But first, let's actually talk about where it actually stands. So, Overwatch 1 was a bit controversial in its design. All right, let's just get that right. Overwatch 1, you paid $60 for the base game, and then it had a loot box mechanic built into it. You could go ahead and pay real money for loot boxes, so basically gambling, but it's only for cosmetic skins. I think eventually you could get like small tweaks that never actually made it into competition, but were available in like missions or something like that. I don't remember if that was just something that was planned or if it actually got into the game, but I digress. But from the get-go, it was just cosmetics, in gamble boxes. Overwatch 2 did away with gamble boxes. Instead, you have a battle pass that requires you to, first off, A, pay money to unlock the premium tier of the battle pass, 
of which in said battle pass, anytime you advance on it, you are reminded of what you are missing out by not buying the premium tier of the battle pass. And then of course you can pay extra to just unlock more tiers of the battle pass. It is a free to play mechanic that a lot of people have tended to accept but still has a bit of a psychological component that is exploitative to some people. But the thing is, is that it is the battle pass is very much in your face and is now turning Overwatch into a game that was for the most part stand on its own into one that feels more like a cash grab mobile game. And in fact, one of the things that Overwatch 2 promised a PvE story mode campaign is not there and in fact if you want all the characters from overwatch one and you didn't buy overwatch one and transfer your data over you have to unlock them all again cool great isn't that what you love in your games to go ahead and have to unlock everything all over again it's fantastic isn't it it's just great it's great it's fine. So that's how Overwatch 2 launched. There have been some tweaks. One of the other things that also happened was the fact that you had to have a phone number linked with your Overwatch 2 account. And actually certain phone numbers you couldn't use. In fact, here in the US, one of the lesser carriers known as Cricket, you couldn't use at all. A prepaid phone, you couldn't use it all either. Basically, unless your phone was straight from Verizon, Sprint, or I'm sorry, did I say Sprint? I'm in T-Mobile or AT&T, you couldn't play Overwatch 2. I don't know if you used a subcarrier, like say Tang, for example, as a subcarrier of Sprint, if that number would work, because it's technically a Sprint number, but you're going through Ting as your payment provider. It's hard to say. So, I mean, there's that problem and also you have to go ahead and just trust blizzard with your phone number i already got enough unwanted spam scam calls of which i'm trying to find more new and creative ways to mess with said calls i don't need a leak from blizzard to go ahead and leak my number out anymore well fortunately that has been done away with the phone number requirement is gone oh and by the way um one other fun little bit about the Overwatch 2 launch is the fact that uh, you couldn't get in because on launch day, of course the game was DDoSed. Of course. Of course the thing got, got DDoS attacked. Why wouldn't it have? So basically very, very few people could even get in to play it in the first place. And then the servers were just lagged to all heck. Cool. What a great launch, everyone. And then even if you could get in, you were then met with bugs on a game that basically played and operated exactly the same as the old one, but now has new bugs because they changed something that no one could explain under the hood. But they are working on, to their credit, they are working on fixing everything in it. So at least you can give Blizzard credit for that. Honestly, right now to me, Overwatch 2 does not impress because all it is right now is... What it feel what Overwatch 2 feels like to me, it feels like Overwatch 1 version 2, as opposed to a whole other sequel. Splatoon 3 almost falls into that same category for me too, 
that's that's Splatoon version three. But at least with Splatoon three, there is a whole different hub town, one that is both advanced and devanced and has uh, regressed quite a bit. The PS5 has been jailbroken. How long until Sony tries to fix this? There has been a limited, but an exploit that allows you to jailbreak your PS5, which now means there's a way in. I personally would not recommend anyone go ahead and jailbreak their PS5, especially since, you know, it prevents you from getting updates down the road. And I guarantee you, if Sony catches a jailbroken PS5 on their network, it is going to be bricked so quickly and have so many of its features locked. But at the same time, these sort of exploits are still very, very interesting. In other news, we're going to just get through the last of this really, really quickly. Boston Dynamics has made a vow. They will not attach weapons to their robot dog. They're going to leave that to you. If you want to go ahead and use your robot dog to, to wage war, you got to attach your own gun. They're not going to do it for you. Now, granted, a, num- a lot of other robotics companies have also signed this pact, along with Boston Dynamics, to not weaponize its robots. But you already know some third party, like probably, oh, I don't know, pick a military, are going to do it anyway. Not that it really matters, because there's already a few other robotics companies that already have attached weapon reader robots. So, while we go ahead and contemplate... If there's going to be robot terminators in our future, I want you to contemplate this. The last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. The five foot long Sephiroth grade keyboard. Google Japan has made a single row keyboard. They put every single key on the keyboard into one row for one really, 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 really long keyboard why did they do this i don't know i don't know what the benefit is of having a five foot long keyboard other than when someone makes a typo you can instead just pick up your keyboard and stab them with it from very far away i mean this is ridiculous even the guy in the picture is holding this keyboard like it is in fact a very long katana Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening, and I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which airs every single morning, although I'll admit we had some technical difficulties with production the last couple, the, this last week. We will get back to it, although don't expect the uh, the crypto tracking any longer. It's just not worth it for us and i do encourage you to check out my other stuff you can find everything my youtube my twitch streams everything at eaglefalcon.carrd.co take care and i hope you have a great day
here's the real question though. If you went ahead and made a five foot long keyboard and you're gonna tempt me by holding it up like a sword, I just wanna know. Is there any kind of crazy accelerometers in there so that I actually can wield my keyboard sword as an actual sword and have the computer pick it up as a sword? I'm just saying, this could be the greatest device ever for PC gaming, at least until I hit a monitor, and then it'll be the worst device ever made for PC gaming.